Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Matters podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the world. I'm your host, Holly Goodman, shareholder with Gunster in Southern Florida. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the Corporate Transparency Act in the United States. Joining us on the program are Kevin Levy and Natalie Reyes, Business Law Section Chair and Senior Associate at Gray Robinson. Kevin and Natalie, welcome. We are so delighted to have you on our program today. Good morning, Holly. Thank you so much for having us. Good morning as well. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah. So I think that, you know, typically we're talking about employment matters, and this one's a little bit of a broader topic that applies to businesses more generally. So I think it would be really helpful this morning if we kicked off by one of you giving us an explanation of the Corporate Transparency Act. So what is it? Sure. Happy to do that. And I think you're right. I think while it's not strictly an employment law topic, it affects every business in the United States. There's a few exemptions, but every employment client we have is part of a corporation that needs to hear this. And while I think in about five years from now, this will become second nature, kind of like having a registered agent for a company, I think up front, in fact, in less than a month, people will have to start registering with FinCEN, individuals and companies with the Corporate Transparency Act, and they may not know how to do that. In fact, right now, the portal's not even open to test it. But essentially, the, the point of this law, which was passed by Congress in 2021, is to make it transparent and make it so the government knows who's forming companies, who has small companies, how the money is flowing. It's really to protect anti-money laundering. And a lot of countries around the world already have this in place. So the United States is a little kind of late to the party, but nonetheless, it will now exist and individuals and companies and the applicants that help those individual companies be formed are going to have to report some very specific information to FinCEN. So you've already started to touch on it a little bit because I'm hearing that it affects all businesses in the United States. I'm hearing that it affects applicants. It affects those who help applicants. So can you give me a little bit more information about what entities specifically are going to be impacted by the Corporate Transparency Act? It defines two types of companies that must report. One of them is domestic reporting companies and the others are foreign reporting companies. The Corporate Transparency Act, also known as the CTA, is trying to make sure they do not miss any entity. And those entities can be either a corporation or an LLC. The main key thing that we should focus on under the CTA is how those entities were created. The Corporate Transparency Act states that If the entity is created by the filing of a document, then it is presumed that they must report if it's a domestic entity. And it can be created by filing a document with the Secretary of State or any other similar office or Indian tribe. If it's a foreign entity and they are registering to do business in the U.S., the fact that they must register makes them a reporting company. So entities that have some sort of filing requirement, they're going to have to actually make some sort of reporting. But who specifically needs to report the information? Oh, that's a great question, because it's not obvious. One would think it's just the reporting company. Oh, we need to provide some information. But the company needs to provide some information, which we'll talk about in a minute. Also, any beneficial owner. A beneficial owner has been defined as a person, an individual that has a 25% or more ownership interest or substantial control. While there is a lot of discussion about what substantial control means, what FinCEN and the government has said is there's always going to be someone 
that has substantial control, even if no one owns 25%. So that's two categories, the company and all those beneficial owners. The third category is the company applicants, who helps or advises the company on formation. And remember, this is all based on formation. Now, there's a whole nother set of section that's going to go in for existing companies, but whoever helped form a company starting January 1st, 2024, will have to report. So that means the lead attorney that advises the company is going to have to report. It also may mean that the paralegal that files with FinCEN, or if there's a service company that does the filing on behalf of the law firm, they're going to have to report. So there's really three categories. For existing companies, meaning companies that exist as of December 31st, 2023, company applicants will not have to report. So we keep talking about reporting, who has to report, and all of these different entities and individuals and people who help applicants all have to report. What exactly are they reporting? That's a good segue to this because the applicants, which includes, like Kevin said, the attorneys and the paralegals and the owners, we must all report our legal names, date of birth, current residence. And as attorneys, we have the ability to provide just our business address, but the owners must provide the residence, the principal resident address and a unique ID number with its image. So the unique ID number includes four types of ID. You are allowed your U.S. passport ID with your image that must be reported. It also includes a foreign passport if you're a foreigner, your driver's license, or a state ID. So those are the four identifications that are available that the beneficial owner or the applicant must report. If a particular client tends to form many entities, then Vincent allows them to obtain what is called a FinCEN number which we should think about it as a Florida bar number or your practice ID number that your local bar gives you. And what you do is you provide that information to FinCEN once. And once you provide that information, FinCEN will provide you with an ID that's going to be unique to you and will always follow you similar to a social security number. Therefore, every time you form an entity, you can go ahead and just provide that information, provide your FinCEN ID, and that way you will not have to continuously update your address or your picture ID every time you form an entity. However, even though you're going to obtain your FinCEN number, if the beneficial owner's information ever changes, they will have to report to FinCEN any change that occurred in any of their basic information that they provided the first time prior to them obtaining their FinCEN number. If it's a reporting company, on the other hand, the reporting company must provide their name, they must provide their address, they must provide their EIN number and to the jurisdiction in which they were formed, if it's a Florida entity, Georgia entity, or whatever jurisdiction they were formed in. And I think this is one of the tricky parts, because this is going to be new for everyone. We think getting the FinCEN numbers are going to be very helpful for the companies and the attorneys and paralegals, so they don't have to report the personal information over and over. But it's the updating of it when something changes with the company, when something changes with that individual, that I don't think people are going to be fluent with yet. But just over time, I think there's going to be some lessons learned. So what's really interesting, then, if there's those updating requirements, it kind of begs the question of what deadlines the law puts into place for making these reportings. So you've already mentioned that starting January 1st, 2024, new entities have to make reports. And now we're also hearing that entities that have changes in ownership or changes in information need to also make reports. So what exactly are those deadlines? Our reporting companies 
formed on or after January 1st, 2024, will have 90 days to report. Any companies formed on or before December 31st, 2023, will have until January 1st, 2025 to report. So current entities and any entities in existence on or before the end of this year, they are giving them a year to report. However, any entities created on or after January 1st, 2025 will only have 30 days to report. And we should take into account that the 90 days and the 30 days, they are triggered by when the company receives actual notice of its creation or registration, or when the Secretary of State or similar offices provides public notice, the earlier of the two. That's when the 90 days starts to count. So not necessarily when they initially file, but when they receive the notice that they are officially created. When they correct. receive the notice or it's publicly available. That's correct. The earlier correct. of the two. A lot of corporate attorneys do stay on top of when actually the certifications come through. And I think it's going to be even more incumbent upon them to do this. You know, I think and a subtle thing to think about here is, you know, here we are, you know, middle of December and the portal's not open. So no one knows how it actually works at this moment. We've been thinking there might be a delay, but it appears FinCEN has said it's full steam ahead. And one of the reasons they say that is for existing companies as of now, there's going to be a whole year, all of 2024 to report. And even if you're formed in 2024, you have 90 days. And it's important to remember what Natalie said. After 2024, you only have 30 days. But hopefully that's when it will become second nature. One of the things we're working on with clients is being prepared for existing companies to not start working with them until maybe April, because there's going to be a lot of kinks in the system we anticipate in that first 90 days. A lot of entities get formed at the start of the year for tax purposes. They're going to have 90 days. I can only imagine how overwhelmed FinCEN will be in the first 90 days on, on a portal that's not even open. It's never been done before. And we're making sure clients are educated. But existing clients as of December 31st, 23, should really be looking at like an April date. And they'll still have eight months to report to, to observe what happened and just to make it a smoother process. So I think that that raises a really interesting point, Kevin. We're talking about the possibility here that there's going to be either delays or kinks in the system because, let's be real, that happens anytime there's a brand new process that's put into place. So for companies that only have that 90 days especially, I think the question of sanctions is really important. So what is going to happen if a company fails to timely comply, either because the system doesn't allow them to or because they're not staying on top of this law and don't realize they need to do it, or there's some other reason why they can't timely get in their report of information? And I think it's actually three groups that need to be aware of this, not just the company. Also, those individual beneficial owners need to be aware. And also the law firms, attorneys and paralegals need to be aware because the penalties and the sanctions apply to all of them for failing to comply in the time frame. And those penalties have real teeth, $500 a day fines. And actually, there's criminal sanctions and jail time that are available remedies. Now, do we think that FinCEN is going to go put in, a, you know, seek to put an attorney in jail for, you know, missing the deadline and filing 120 days for a new entity in 2024? No. In fact, there has been some conversation with FinCEN that that's not their emphasis to go after the attorneys. They obviously want the beneficial owners. 
And there's real teeth, as I mentioned, that's real money, that's real criminal sanctions. I think there's going to be a learning process here, a learning curve. Hopefully they're not going to go after people too early. But as in other criminal areas of the world, the government, you know, is going to go after whoever's a witness because they want the information. And so I think that's something everybody needs to be made aware. This isn't something you can just shrug off. Yeah. By by putting pressure on the lawyers and the law firms, it, it kind of helps to ensure that those businesses and beneficial owners are aware of the law and the requirements because their lawyers are going to be reaching out to them pretty quickly here to make sure that they know that they're going to have to comply with this law. With that in mind, what should companies and law firms be doing now, right now? Because the portal isn't open yet, but we do know that these deadlines, they are coming on us pretty quickly here. So what should we be doing to prepare for CTA compliance? And I think you kind of hit it on the head just a second ago. It's awareness. I mean, the number one thing we're trying to do both, not just with our clients, but internally, is to make all of our attorneys and clients aware of this regulation and educate them. Because just like the clients need to be educated, this exists, you're going to have to comply with your existing companies and any new companies. Attorneys and paralegals in our law firm need to understand that this exists and that forming a company has real ramifications. Everybody now knows when you form a company, you need to get a registered agent in that state. That's become second nature because it's existed so long. And I believe with CTA, the same thing will happen, but it's going to take a while to get there. And I could see attorneys and paralegals forming entities and not realizing this. So the number one thing we're focused on is awareness and education. The second thing is making sure that the clients that already have companies and exist, that they are gathering the proper information so that, again, as I mentioned earlier, come April, we'll be able to file for them. You know, for new clients, you know, we don't know them yet, but a lot of new entities are formed by our existing clients. So we're getting them prepped and ready so that maybe not the 1st of January, if we form an entity on the 1st and find out it's been approved, maybe February 1st, we are ready to start filing for them. So one thing that I think might get lost is that we've been talking a lot about how this applies to companies and beneficial owners and all the law firms. Are there any companies under the law that are going to be exempt from reporting? So there are 23 categories of companies under the CTA that are going to be exempt. And I am not going to list all 23, but I can just mention a few. For example, you have banks, you have credit unions, you have accounting firms, and the CTA believes that they are already heavily regulated. Therefore, they do not need to report. Funny thing is law firms are not included within those 23 categories. One of the categories that, that I would like to just touch on briefly are large companies. So large companies under the CTA are technically are exempt if they meet three requirements. One of them is that they must have 20 full-time employees. Another one is that they have to have their operating presence at a physical office within the U.S. And the third category is that they must have filed within the previous year tax returns that demonstrate at a minimum, $5 million in gross receipts for sale. So that would be one of the categories that's exempt, but there's a total of 23 that the CTA has said do not need to report. And I think one of the points here is companies that are already heavily regulated, the government knows about them. They know who these owners are. They have that information. This is really for the smaller companies that are flying under the radar that the government wants to know where the money is, how the money is flowing, who's involved with it. And so that's where the emphasis needs to be. Now, another interesting thing is you saw that 
you know, $5 million, likely publicly traded companies are never going to have to report this again. They're already regulated. But one of the key things there was having an actual physical presence. So in the modern world we live in, if you really have no actual physical office anymore, you're spread out. If you're over the 5 million or you're over the 20 employees, that might not work for you. There's also a lot of discussion of how that works with, well, what if subsidiaries help you get over that limit? And each, my understanding as of now, each company is supposed to be looked at on its own. So you have to look at it that way. And there might be in your chain of many companies, one or two that have to report and some that don't have to report. So that's something that needs to be taken into consideration. I am a little concerned that people might think, oh, I have a not-for-profit or I have a partnership and it doesn't need to report. And I, I think at least for now, people should look at the regulation and assume that you need to report and then see if there's an exemption that applies to you instead of the other way around. We already told, talked about the, the sanctions and the penalties. There's no, it, It's very easy to report. I could understand why people wouldn't want to, but I don't think they should take the position, oh, we must be exempt. No, I think you should take the position, you're regulated, and then go and see if an exemption applies. And just to add to that, Kevin, as to the 5 million thresholds for the large companies, earlier I said at a minimum 5 million, but in reality, the actual wording of the CTA is more than 5 million. I just want to clarify that because 5 million itself will cut it. It's actually more 5 million and a penny, probably, or more than that. I just want to clarify that. I want to go back, Kevin, to your point about people's hesitation to report. And I think that that hesitation is probably going to come into full force and effect for small businesses or for these beneficial owners who might be concerned about what's going to happen with their information. If they're having to give over their home address to the federal government, we all know that, at least in, here in the state of Florida, we have very broad public records laws. We know about FOIA requests at the federal government level. Is this information going to be available to the public? So the Corporate Transparency Act is actually working on a software called the BOSS system, which is Beneficial Ownership Secure System. And that's going to be an online portal where beneficial owners and applicants and reporting companies will be able to provide all of their information into that system. That is going to be private. It will not be available to the public. And the only way you will have access to it is either through law enforcement purposes or a financial institution that may request it with your authorization. Therefore, under the Corporate Transparency Act, the information you provide is private. That being said, there are certain states that are working on their own version of the Corporate Transparency Act. And New York, for example, the state of New York is working on their version of the Corporate Transparency Act. And they intend so far, unless it gets vetoed, to make the information public. So that will depend on a state-by-state -state basis. But as to the Corporate Transparency Act in itself, all the information reported will be private. And, you know, as an attorney that practices in the area of data privacy and security, I understand where the fear comes from. And it's real. These things can be hacked. There's no intention for it to be public under the CTA, although the New York law is a very curious one. We're tracking it to see where that really comes to life. But I just want to emphasize what Natalie said. You know, one of the points of this regulation is so that law enforcement has access to this information to be able to do investigations. So that's one. And then the other one is you might want your bank to have this information for certain purposes or they might request it. They can't just request it and get it. It does require your consent. 
But that's the other major one. And Natalie did mention it. I just want to emphasize that's another place. And of course, banks are heavily regulated with personal information. That's not to say they can't get hacked either. But those are the places where this information for now is going to reside. I think that might bring some comfort to people, of course, that are not living in New York right now. At least the federal government is planning at this time to keep that information as confidential. Um, I think that might also bring some comfort to the attorneys and the law firms that are going to have to give over their information. So we've talked a lot about attorneys, law firms, the individuals who are helping applicants to create their organizations and how they are also affected by this law. I do know that a lot of our listeners are members of our ELA firms. And so can we touch just briefly on how the Corporate Transparency Act affects attorneys and law firms specifically? Yeah. And so we we did a few minutes ago where we talked about the sanctions and the penalties. And this is a nice segue from the last thing we spoke When attorneys are advising their clients where to form entities, often it's the state in which they're in, or it's going to be Delaware for certain purposes, if this is going to be a company that's going to seek venture capital or ultimately want to go public. But there's other states you sometimes go to when you're interacting with foreign companies. New York is a popular state also. Based on how these laws shake out, like the New York one, Attorneys might start advising, don't form in New York. You're going to have to provide this information. That is if you're on top of your game, right? You're following these laws. You're on top of your game. You need to know, attorneys will need to know how to advise based on which states come up with CTAs that require more public access to this information. But again, I think one of the main effects on law firms is having the awareness that this exists until it becomes second habit and everybody knows to do it and knowing that your information needs to be disclosed too, and that there's sanctions if it's not disclosed and disclosed properly, and that you might want to get a FinCEN number, which makes it easier. By the way, that's also so you don't have to give your personal information to the reporting company, your client all the time. You're just giving this one number. So that's an important thing I think law firms need to be concerned about and be aware of. Yeah. And I think it's helpful even for our listeners who might not be lawyers, to hear these things, because now they know what questions they should be asking as well, is they should be talking to their lawyers about where they might want to incorporate, the timing of incorporation, particularly if they were planning to incorporate sometime in early January, it might be worth waiting a few weeks and seeing how this portal opening goes and and having those conversations with their counsel and knowing that uh, it sounds like we're all in this together to make sure that we're, we're coming into compliance with this new law that has some pretty big and important purposes, looking at money laundering and giving our law enforcement the opportunity to be able to crack down on that in the United States. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that the clients, in addition to the attorneys, need to give some thought to is structure and timing. It's one of the things we're working on with our clients. Do we want to go ahead and form before the start of the year so that you have a whole year to report this? Or do you want to wait to the start of the new year? You have to balance that with the tax benefits, right? You formed in 2023. If you're doing any business, now you have a tax return you have to file. And, you know, that's extra costs and expenses. So there are things that need to be balanced, but that's now part of the equation. And again, I said it from the start. I think this is just going to become second nature. It's part of the equation of forming an entities. It's just very new and people haven't done it. And it's going to be a learning process for a lot of people in the first few months. By the way, those people include FinCEN and trying to handle a large amount of information that's going to come in at the start of the year. So, Kevin, we're talking a lot here about, you know, the kinds of things that you're considering with your clients and the advice that lawyers might be giving to their clients as well. That also kind of sometimes begs the question whenever we're talking about 
legal advice about the risks of that for lawyers. Are there any other ramifications for lawyers or law firms that they should be thinking of as they navigate these waters for their clients? Sure. First of all, I'm going to kind of make an analogy to clients. You know, clients don't want to get this wrong because now you might get on the radar screen of law enforcement. And so they're more likely to investigate you. And it's where the cover up is bigger than the crime. And same thing for law firms. One of the things they need to think about is since they have to comply, the attorneys have to comply. The last thing a law firm wants to do is mess this up, just like you don't want to mess up anything. But now your real liability on the line, this could lead to bar complaints. This could lead to malpractice claims. And that's one of the reasons we're trying to emphasize a lot of awareness and education within our firm. And I think that's why a podcast like this is so good, is making attorneys aware this isn't second nature yet. I've said it a few times, and I really do believe in it. This is just going to be like making sure you have a registered agent. But until that point in time, you form an entity you forget. Now you're going to look bad in the eyes of the client. You're opening yourself to a malpractice claim if they get fined for it. And you might even be a bar complaint. And so it does have real ramifications to law firms. It's not just, you know, crying wolf. We don't know exactly what's going to look like. This hasn't happened to anyone yet, but those are real possibilities. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of nuances to this law that both businesses, beneficial owners, lawyers, law firms all need to be aware of. And so I really appreciate both you, Kevin and Natalie coming on to the podcast today to talk to us about these new laws and how it is it's going to impact our listeners. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Holly, for having us. It it was a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you. We're happy to help. We just want to make sure everybody's aware and educated and they know what to do. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you would like to connect with Kevin or Natalie, please click on their bios in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Holly Goodman. Thanks for listening.